0: I want to thank Ben Lieber. I want to come back to Ben Lieber again, mm-hmm. and so Ben, just, I want to, I want to, yeah, I just, want to touch something really important. But go ahead, ask your question, please.
1: Yeah, uh, I'll just what I'll do is, uh, as that little bit of uh, techno techno babble just got a little bit too technical, I'll see if I can make a schematic, <laughs> so so people can wrap their heads around how you how I how I did it. Back then, because it's 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 become a little bit of a technical story. But see if I can get some nice cranes out and make a make a drawing, and uh, so <laughs> uh, so it
0: becomes. So it becomes <laughs> well, let me let me help let me help you with this. Let me let me help you with this. Everyone, let me explain something about what he's trying to say. So what he was doing pre to this is pre midi. No midi already there. Midi already there. Yep. Okay, so the first... So the MIDI's already there. So if people understand what MIDI is, okay, it's a Musical Instrument Digital Interface. He's using time code to lock up. What kind of time code? FSK or SEMPTI in those days? SEMTI, and I was using
1: uh, the Roland SBX-80.
0: Okay, uh, wait, wait, wait. Let's explain that. Let's break that down. So guys, if you ever went to a movie and you see the numbers, in the bottom is this four-digit sets of numbers with colons in between. That would be, what happens is when you're doing a movie, let's say, we're going to talk in a movie sense. When you're doing a movie, what happens is in certain parts of the movies, there's different times in the movies. So in order to be able to put sound and audio to lock up so that you don't have the lips moving posed to the voice and the music, the time signature that's on the movie would lock up with a, with a code sound that sound like this, like that, on your tape. So that would lock up to your computer. And that's what he was doing, in a sense, without the movie part. He's doing all that magic, you know, bouncing stuff digitally. And it's crazy, brother. I didn't know you were that, you know, in in deep like that. I'm like, I was thinking, see, here's what we're thinking, okay? Because we're coming from a long line of remixes from the Americans. In those days, you Tom Moultons, John Luangos, all those guys. And what they were doing is they were going in these studios and they had the tape machine, the multi-track with all the tape, with the with 24 tracks. Some of them had 16, some of them had 48, depends on the, the technology of the era of the time. But most of it was 24 tracks. And the band would play on each part of the track. Drums would be on its own track, bass, and this and that. What you're saying is you were doing that with... Empty and bouncing with digital, with no, yes. no tape. Wow. No. But you are yeah. using tape. You are using tape. Yes, you're using yeah. it. But the, the, the big
1: difference is that uh, I know a lot of uh, people back then um, did remixes, but they came into a studio, and when they came into the studio, they had an audio engineer. They had a mixing engineer. Then they had somebody coming in uh, doing the keyboards. Then they had somebody programming the drums, and in the end, it would be their remix. But the way I was working was, it's just me. I'll be in the studio, and I'll have an engineer explaining how the routing works in the studio. But once the uh, the you know the routing is in uh, in place, and once I've got all my outboard gear in place, I'll be doing all that stuff and uh, taking that stuff back home and doing all the overdubs and doing the final mix and doing the final mastering and even <laughs> even driving the tape to the courier service if if, if it was past pickup time so uh, it's it's a it's a different way of uh, of working but it allowed me total freedom and you can imagine if you are in a studio and you have a, a mixing engineer you have a keyboard player and you have you know people around you if at the end of the day you would say meh I don't like it, I'm not feeling it. I wanna trash everything we did today and start over new. There would be a discussion. And I, the way I was making these, these remixes was like, I don't want to have that discussion. I want to be completely free when I, when I have the feeling that the path I'm taking is not leading to what I want it to be, that I can just delete five days of work Start over new and make it the way I feel it needs to be. And the only way of doing that was just doing it by myself. And that meant that I needed to be aware of all the technical stuff to to make that happen. Because you know, I didn't have I didn't, I'm not using a an engineer.
0: Wow. Well, that's where you, I guess, you know, you have the knack for the computer side. You know, you pick that up very quickly. For some people, they don't seem to ever understand it i mean i know a lot of guys like t scott and i know you know the names t scott was very computer like you he wanted to know everything that was going on with the computer with the sequencing so he was able to translate what was in his mind to the music because if you don't understand the technology how do you explain this to someone
1: but yeah. the, the same parallel goes for uh, people uh, spinning on vinyl and people, uh, you know, I've, I've spun on vinyl for, for more than 25 years, so I've paid my dues. But um, uh, when I at a certain point see that there is this new technology and there are these new players and uh, Pioneer was making the CDJ 1000 and I'm like, this is what I've been waiting for because now I can do what I want and I can do it in different Speeds at the same pitch. This is this is what I what I've been waiting for, uh, and I have the technical insight to make that determination and make that choice. If you're not interested in the technical side of things, you are very much prone to stick with to stick to what you know, being vinyl, and uh, you know making all kinds of excuses for not going along with. Technology, uh, coming up with all kinds of ex- excuses why you want it, why you want to play from vinyl, uh, claiming magical properties or whatever. Uh, <laughs> magical properties.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's true. Oh, wait it's true. a minute, wait, 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 hang on. Let me give you now the argument from most people. We have the analog lovers, and then you have the new school of digital. So please define the difference of the analog vinyl. Post to the digital USB stick, uh, WAV file. Okay.
1: Uh, first of all, everybody listening to this, are you properly seated? Are you not in any position that you will fall onto the floor? Because here it's how it is. When digital came out, people at that time were so sick and tired of hearing tape hiss that they were making productions getting rid of all those noise artifacts they could get rid of. So they cleaned up anything and everything they could because those were people that had spent decades mucking about with tape, being sick of all the the noise, being sick of all the hiss and all the distortion. And now suddenly they have this format where they can record uh, onto digital. Uh, And they don't have to muck about with all that hiss anymore. So they're cleaning up their productions, cleaning up their productions to the point where it doesn't sound natural anymore. So it's not a mistake or it's not a property of digital that digital sounds digital. It's something that happened with the people using it. People being sick and tired of hiss, tape hiss. Now they have digital. So now they clean everything up. So way, way, way back in the beginning, there has been a period where digital recordings just sounded too clinical. That's not due to the format, that's not due to the technology, Technology, but that's due to how people work with it. To make a comparison, when everything was mono and stereo came out, people made crazy mixes. People had the band playing on right, had all the vocals playing on left, had the the bass player playing on right and had the keyboard player on left. Crazy, crazy mixes. That's not a fault of mono versus stereo. No, that's the fault of the people getting accustomed to this new format and learning how to work with it. So digital can supersede analog any, any moment of the day. And uh, the fact that digital has no degradation, and especially with you know the, the, the cost of backups, it's no problem whatsoever to keep all your digital files backup. And a digital file is as clean as it was on the day it was made. And Analog, having made my series of grand 12 inches for, for almost 20 years, I know that people look up to Analog and consider it this holy of holiness, Place with magical, uh, you know, magical properties, but it just isn't. And you want if you want to cling on to that, you are getting into the realms of religion and not the realms of fact. Because fact is, it just works. It just works perfectly. And there is no reason what whatsoever why analog today would sound better than digital because it just doesn't. It just doesn't. So. If people are falling from the seats now, they can get
0: (laughs) Come back on your chairs, everyone. I know he kicked your asses with that. You know, that's Ben Lieberman for everyone. Let's (laughs) applaud him for his. I am so very sorry to come across like this, but. Ben, you know, this has been the story of all of us, my friend. Everyone always asks us, do you hear the difference? (laughs) It's tough. I hear sometimes in records that I know I played off of vinyl, I can hear a huge difference than the digital. It's just organic. It can very well be that you are uh, accustomed
1: to uh, not having a proper high end because uh, what a lot of people don't know is that a lot of records, which they are now so adamantly referring to back in the 70s, those records were cut with a high cut filter, getting rid of everything above 15, 15 and a half kilohertz as a standard, because, you know, it would give so much problems trying to get that top, top high end into your vinyl that it was so much easier just to, to filter it off. And so there are mounds and mounds and mounds of vinyl cut back then, which don't ha- even have any information about above 15, 15 and a half kilohertz. If people have not been present at a record cutting, if you have not been there yourself, and I've heard the difference between the source <laughs> and what comes from vinyl, unless you've been there, and if, unless you've heard A, B, this is what I'm putting on vinyl, and that is coming back from the cutting, and then still from the cutting, you have to make the negative, and then from the negative, you, you know, you have to make the stamper. From the stamper, you have to press it back into vinyl. And from the vinyl, you have to play it back again on with your stylus. So that's four mechanical conversions. Three still to come after this first cutting. If you hear the difference between what it is and what it becomes after it's cut, you'll agree, yes, I'm the, 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 the nice transparent high end I had, it's not longer there. And the, the, the chunky, chunky bass drum, it sounds fantastic on vinyl, but it's not the chunky one I came into the studio with because that one went even lower. But we can't cut that, otherwise, you know, the needle might skip uh, because the grooves might touch. So if, you, if you've never experienced that, the only thing you're holding on to is this religious kind of belief that analog has magical properties, whilst it hasn't. It just hasn't.
0: On the move. Yes. Oh, yes. Now, Ben Lieberman, the remixer. Has Ben Lieberman ever been the writer producer? For those that are watching. Yes. On the other side of the uh, of the chair. Yes. Yes. Not
1: not as often as I would have loved, but back then, uh, with all the productions and all the the, the assignments that ha- I had, it truly was 24/7 uh, so getting the moment to get around to doing your own stuff was only when uh, for the first time when CBS asked okay we've done we have done this remix of Eve of the war you've done uh, this, this uh, the rough and ready mix of Ram Jam Black Betty I think we want to put together a compilation album and he said well you know if you guys are considering a Ben Liebrand album, I'd rather put stuff on there by myself rather than it it just being a compilation album of other artists. So that was the first time I had to take out time to do my own uh, production, uh, my own, sorry, my own writing uh, prior to uh, the production. And um, yeah, that resulted in uh, Styles in 1990, I believe. And uh, I did another album just a couple of years ago, uh, Iconic Groove in 2015, where I felt, I remember coming home with Change, the album of Change, which has Lover's Holiday and Searching and all that that beauty on there. And I remember uh, taking it out of the sleeve, putting it on uh, my record player and... Lowering the needle in the groove and having the album in my hand and uh, a very special feeling. uh, A state of mind. Final, by the way. (laughs) Uh, A very special state of mind. So in 2015, I decided I want to record an album to not only capture the traditional way of doing The production, the old school way of doing the production, but see if I can capture that state of mind that which I had when I listened to that change album for the first time. And on that album, uh, it is uh, songs which I have written, which I have co written. And uh, Yeah. yeah, those are to make a distinction between the rest, those are things where you start with absolute silence and you start with just an idea. And uh, the first idea would be iconic groove. I think I would like to try to make an iconic groove. I think I would like to make a bass line, which, you know, which might be in the same realm as Another One Bites the Dust, uh, Good Times, uh, all the the chic, all the Sister Sledge stuff, uh, all the the funky stuff. Let's see if we can come up with a baseline. So now we've got the baseline. What can we do with the chords? Uh, add the chords to that, and then that kind of expands into uh, production. Difference being, remix you start from something which is already there, and these productions start with blank, blank media, tape, silence, digital, <laughs> digital bitch, bits which are all still uh, zero. So uh, wait but did you minutes.
0: find it? Harder and challenging post to doing a remix. Yes, it is. And it
1: is harder for this reason, because with a remix, you have something you start from. Uh, I've I mentioned this in another interview before. It is like, okay, we're going to make a custom car now, and it's so much easier if you can start with uh, the bumpers. You have the bumpers and that will take you to the shape of the car. And that will take you to whatever you're going to do then. And maybe in the end, you're even going to lose those initial bumpers. Uh, but uh, it is very, it's so much easier if you have something to start with. Uh, and with that same idea, I started Iconic Groove. Uh, I was in the Netherlands with uh, Marcel Schimschreimer on bass, Jochen Fleitsma on guitar, on guitar. And um, I asked uh, Marcel, I just want a, a kick-ass, a kick-ass baseline. I want the kind of baseline that doesn't have to fit in anything. I want to have the kind of baseline which everything has to fit to that baseline. So, baseline is the lead actor here; is the lead role, is the main part. Whatever feels cool, and he would lay down something. He said, "Oh, that's nice. Uh, I'd like to have uh, in the last note." Make it a little bit more jazzy. Make make it just take it one one uh, half note down. See what what happens then. And yes, that's nice. Uh, yes, that's it. That's that's the one I want. Hit record, and we recorded the bass lines. And that again gave me, compared to making a car, that initial set of bumpers. And then I had my bass line, and that determined what the keys would be, and that determined what the rhythm would be. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it is very easier if so much easier, if you have something to start, something to start
0: with, something to start from. During the course of your remix career, and this happens to many of us and the changes of music that were happening, the adaptations of your work habits, did you find yourself changing your sound along the way to keep up with the let's not say competition, but the people around you that were also doing remixes? Or did you stand and believe to stay what Ben Lieberman does and not veer off that track ever? Um, To
1: answer that last last question, yes. Uh, I am very much someone, especially when it comes to mega mixes and stuff like the Grammix and that kind of stuff, I have my style and I very, very seldom listen to other people's mixes because... Simply, I don't want to be accused of taking someone's idea. And the easiest way to do that is just not to listen to other people's uh, megamixes, just making my own style. Um, so that's, that's one part.
0: And um, yeah, I'm Dutch. I don't mind being stubborn. And uh, that it's, mean, it's, only, du- only wait wait way I'm sorry, let's have a clarification. What does that mean? Oh, I'm Dutch. Does that mean we're all Dutch as stubborn people? Well, um, to make it simple. Please. To make it simple.
1: um, A lot of people are too polite to be honest, whilst the Dutch are sometimes too honest to be polite. So if I feel it in a certain way, then I just can't help myself to just saying it the way it is. But at least you know that, you know, if you're dealing with me, with Ben Liebrandt, I'm not making a spiel. I'm not presenting a person you would want me to be or whatever, uh, and I'm not playing games. So I'm actually just telling it as it is and being honest about it. And, you know, sometimes people might get a little bit uh, uh, offended is a big word, but uh, I just like to keep things straight, keep things real, keep things fair. And uh, yeah, so that's one point. Circling back to the question, um, evolving along with the the music styles and the sound, I very much, very clearly remind, uh, remember uh, 1993 coming along And it was filled with stuff in the charge by uh, Captain Jack and a whole bunch of Euro, uh, pardon my French, rubbish. (laughs) And I came at the point like, okay, if this is now what charts in the charts, I know for sure that I cannot make something which I will feel great about because I would have to make something which I don't like to begin with, which made it very difficult in 1993 to uh, continue in the music business because I just felt like there is so much stuff going on which I'm just, I just don't like it. It's just not up to par. It just hasn't the quality. It's, uh, it's cheesy beyond cheesy and I'm, I'm just, no. So in 1993, I kind of switched to doing all the visuals and uh, spent uh, a whole bunch of years just concentrating on uh, computer graphics animation, uh, video compositing, uh, Photoshop artwork, and uh, all that kind of stuff, until the time came around again, that music started to become interesting again. So rather than trying to keep up with uh, a market which I felt like, this is not my thing, this is really not my thing, and you know, as you stated in the beginning of this interview, I do pop, I do bordering on rock, I do hip hop, I do uh, rap, I do house, uh, dance. I I don't want to confine myself to any kind of uh, genre but it has to be quality. It has to, I don't know, it has to uh, have, have a richness and a satisfaction to it and if it doesn't, I'd rather not make it.
0: Ben, have you ever been wrong? And I've been wrong on records where I've turned down work and later regretted it. Has there been ever a project that was, was presented to you from one of the big companies or even a small independent where you said, no, nope, I'm not doing it. And then later you went, damn it. I was wrong on that. Um,
1: I have been asked on the, the height of, do you know Ace of Base?
0: Oh sure, right on the on the height big American America. big American um uh, t- uh team well that team group but young kids loved Ace of Base in the early nineties here in America.
1: So on the height of their success, I was asked to do remixes for them, and I just couldn't. It just I just couldn't. That was one of those things where I felt like, yeah, that's not my thing. Uh, same with uh, Modern Talking, which is a, a German band. No. And never re- regretted it because, you know, that's one of those things where, to begin with, the music is, it, it, the, the whole thing is, it just doesn't appeal to me. And I don't have the feeling that I can bring it to the point where I will have a good feeling about it. So I just won't. Uh, a track which was also offered to me was by the Gypsy Kings. Oh, yeah. Bambaleo? Around uh, right about that time. Around right about that time. But back then I had with the Gypsy Kings, it's fantastic as is. It really is fantastic as is. It is so acoustic and it has everything it needs to be. And looking back at it now, I think I might've, you know, do an extended version or do a version that has a nice intro and a nice break or a nice mixable outro or whatever. But I probably wouldn't have changed anything regarding the approach, regarding the original sound of uh, the Gypsy Kings. and. Uh, that's one of them where I felt like, yeah, maybe, maybe I could have, I could have given it a go, and very much uh, respecting the original production and not wanting to change the sound, but just making it into a more DJ playable uh, version. But for the rest, you know, you make your decisions, you make your choices, and um, I, I'm i I must be lucky that I. I've not. Uh, I, I've not. Came, I've not come into that kind of a sour circle of, of regret or whatever. Uh, I count myself lucky. So. Ben,
0: at the time when you were doing these mixes, and we knew about the Ben Liebern extended mix or Ben Liebrand mix, who else in in the Dutch area was the, another go to at the same time? When you were doing this, were you the only one, or was it other people doing this as well? There
1: were, were other. There were other people in uh, in the Netherlands. One of them was uh, Peter Slaghuis, and uh, he did uh, brilliant uh, compilation mixes. Um, and uh, Peter Peter was someone uh, who approached the whole thing much more with a gut feeling. So Peter had um, he had uh, he had all the equipment. He had all the money to get all the equipment. He had his own studio, but he. Um he just did what he felt he wanted to do. And he wasn't someone that, you know, submerged himself in m- menus and sub-menus of samplers. He just got the stuff in there, uh, made sure it, it made the sound he wanted to, and then got going. And uh, uh, a different approach to uh, the maybe over-nerdy way that I was doing it. Uh, funny enough though that when we actually met at a particular point in our lives, we could get along just fantastically maybe because we had these different approaches to uh, to do music. So Peter Slaghuis was someone and he did uh, Jack to the Sound of the Underground and um, there are uh, there were other people, uh, especially DJs in Holland that were doing very well but most of them, Back in those days, you're d- describing now. Yes, them, in the early times, the early period, yeah. Most of them just did not have the interest in the technical side of it. And uh, because they did not have that interest, when opportunity opportunities came along, they might have grabbed the first one, but probably were not able to pull it off in such a sat- satisfactory way that it developed into an actual career for them. So, um, yeah, and there are there are people that made, uh, uh, Robin Albus had a fantastic uh, production for uh, Plastic Dreams um, uh, with JD. And, um, but still, I don't know. I, I, I mean that um, I'm doing this, this is my job. And as I'm doing this full-time, I, uh, Every day of the week, that obviously also means that the amount of time I spend on it and the amount of practice I get through all that time spending on it, it hopefully hopefully, uh, raises your level to another level. And um, that also uh, makes a difference that compared to someone who has a daytime job and has to do a career like this on the side. So, uh, and there have been others There have been, uh, you know, a, a bunch of colleagues in Holland during a certain time, but, uh, well, I don't know. I count myself lucky that, um, I've just made my decisions, just do it in my own stubborn way. And I'm still here today, basically.
0: Now. We know you you know touched a lot of records. How many records did you touch? Do you know the number? Uh, I,
1: I recently saw... Roughly. On Discord, roughly, roughly. 800. Applause. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's a that's, that's
0: number,
1: number I saw on, uh, on, on Discord. But uh, it's, it's one of those things I don't keep track of. And... Uh, Funny enough, there are a lot of people that you know they they kind of get into mixes, get into details of mixes, and you must realize that you know I'm I'm making all these mixes. I'm my job is not to uh, to view uh, my uh, my or other people's careers as a historian and keeping track like a bookkeeper. Uh, I don't have time, don't have time for that. I just I it as a DJ. I do it out of the passion of music. That is my job. And uh, the bookkeeping thing, as you heard earlier, that uh, you know, even my dad was the one required to do all my invoicing. The, the book, bookkeeping and the historian
0: part of the whole thing is not uh, not my strongest point. That's okay. We don't need you to be a bookkeeper. We need you to be a scientist, crazy remixer. Now, yes, that's 10. me. Thank I'll have a T-shirt. I'll have a T-shirt made made of that. Ben Lebron, crazy scientist, remixer. Crazy scientist, teacher, remixer. Ben, why didn't you jump in house music in those days? I did because I'm a disco junkie. What happened, Ben? Have you, have you heard? Have you heard my house mix of? Uh, no, I'm 80s? talking. No, 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 no. I'm talking late '80s when house music was coming out. of Chicago '90s because that sound is so electronic. And I know. so, uh, why I didn't jump on
1: that kind of, um, it kind of goes back a little bit further. When I had the first interview in Mixmag, uh, it would have been under the header flavor of the month. And I said, I would love to do uh, an interview with Mixmag, but not under the header flavor of the month, because I don't expect myself to be gone next month and not restricting myself by, you know, being a flavor of the month. I also did not want to restrict myself uh, to just one genre of music because I love so many, I I love so much aspects of music in in such a wide uh, way. And uh, you know, I played a lots of house, lots of house in the early days. Uh, I must say, I must admit, there is also a, a bunch of house tracks back in those days, which on the nerdy production side of stuff, which I appreciate, are, were a little bit shaky, to say the least. Mm. So the drums were a little bit shaky, the, the piano playing were a little bit shaky, and which probably bothered me the most that there was no, uh, no structure to the track, So it sounded like the drum machine was set on. Somebody was sitting there doing his best at the keyboards, playing this piano riff, and somebody somewhere at some point started to sing and at some point stopped with singing, but it missed, it had a feel for sure, but it missed a structure which would very much. Which was very much needed to appeal to me. So that's why certain house tracks I really loved, and other ones I just couldn't fathom because I. It was like, yeah, I I get it, but, you know, this should this should now have a second layer of production and cleaning up whatever was done
0: in the studio. <laughs> and, um, but see, that's see, but that's where the problem is. The music was so street, so dirty. That's what made it this what that music was and I understand your technical side you're looking at it from a high level of production work that you were accustomed to and of course I can't disagree with you but what made house music so raw it was a feeling you know a heart and you're not thinking about let's get the best equipment these people didn't have any money they just did it in this you know what they had like yeah. you said you had a Revox. Maybe they were using a cassette deck to record to you know and the hiss didn't make a difference to them you know at the time you know where the hiss the hiss would have pissed me off you know now I'd be like oh no I'm not playing that but you know. funny
1: thing is that um, uh, back in the day uh, when you when you would do a production and you'd have the money you get a Lindrum uh, and then uh, Roland came out with uh, the 909 and basically those things just just Nobody was using them because they, they didn't have the punch that the Lindrum had. So these things just ended up on the secondhand market. And when they hand, ended up in the secondhand market, they would be bought up by people who could not afford a Lindrum and just had to make do with the 909. And the fun thing is that making do with the 909 turned into this iconic house sound. Not because the 909 was... <laughs> The most optimal drum machine, but that was the one that, you know, everybody who who really went for uh, some 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 quality, they got the Lindrum and they just discarded the nine oh nine. I know colleagues of mine who asked me like, Ben, this this track is now on the charts and it has this drum sound and it's uh, what's his drum sound? Which which is on? There? I said, Well, it's the the on nine oh nine. You must be kidding me. So they went back they went back into their equipment room and behind the door lo and behold was this 909 which they stashed back there uh, six years ago six years ago because it just didn't you know it just didn't level up to a Lindrum so they had the machine didn't even remember they had the machine and yeah so they they got it dusted it off and started making productions with it again so it's a fi- very funny thing that certain certain pieces of equipment, Kind of got into the secondhand market, and then kind of got to a user base, which really brought the best out of it, and you know, turned it into this uh, iconic sound. I love house music, but I don't love all house music. And That's also fine. With 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 the shows I doing, with uh, you know, one of the three radio shows I do every week week uh, in the house. Um, Structure is my thing, so obviously, also this this show doesn't have minutes long just beats because, you know, that's you just joined this us. True,
0: our stories.
1: Yeah, that that's just uh, you know, if if you if you make a transition and you just have the beats going along for three minutes, yeah, you know, it's 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 not a big deal synchronizing two tracks. So I'd rather skip to the interesting parts and keep it, you know, my. To, uh, to put it in, in in one sentence, my my house sets will, are probably a little bit more condensed uh, condensed in such a way where I try to avoid the bits getting boring so yeah, yeah and that's that's my, my approach to to house music and um, I also love to combine it with a lot of acapellas you know a lot of remixes and a lot of uh, unofficial remixes are, are coming out. And I have this vast uh, library of uh, multi tracks and, and acapellas, where I then, in my show, uh, combine a great instrumental track with a great acapella in such a way where you know you you would not be able to release it officially, but for the house set it works and it works perfectly. So uh, it's a kind of a, a different uh, approach of uh, of doing it.
0: So now coming forging forward, okay. forward to the EDM. Times, you know, in the mid 2000s, you had so many Dutch artists coming out, and ghosting was becoming part of the new form of production where professionals were hidden in a studio and making records for big DJs and DJs putting their names on it so they can get the big gigs. What did you, you know, being that you're from Holland, what were you thinking about all this? What was you know, your thoughts about, because I, I have my own personal opinion, but you're a real DJ. You know, you walk the walk, you talk the talk, you learned your system, people learned from you. You created a genre of editing, the mix show, radio personality. I mean, you know, and now all of a sudden the fake, I'm not going to mention names, but the fake DJs are coming out. What do you do? What do you You know what's your position with this? Can I, for this, can
1: I refer to being too honest to be polite? Can I go
0: back to that mode now? Sure. Let's hear the. This is everyone. Welcome to True House Stories. I mean, this is this is what we want to know. I think I think it is.
1: I think it's disgusting. I have no respect whatsoever. And I know that uh, the, I've no respect for whatsoever for people that, uh, you know, be all fancy in interviews and uh, receive their awards at uh, Emmy Awards, Grammy Awards, God knows what kind of awards, whilst I know that they are not doing uh, their work. And I, I just, I have no appreciation, I have no respect, and it is completely... Completely uh, meaningless. It is. I know that there are artists. I know that there are artists where um, the A uh, department kind of scouts for productions and finds a production which is basically done, which is basically ready, and they uh, decide we are going to release this under the flag of enter that artist name, and uh, that artist artist will not will not have been present during the recording, during the production, during the writing of the song. It'll just be a vehicle for uh, releasing this track. And I know that the big audience, that uh, the, the masses, they don't care. If we rewind a couple of years back to the whole Milli Vanilli disaster. Oh, girl, you know, it's true. Refresh our memories. My God. Now it's true. Okay. If you, if you re- rewind back to the whole Millie Villainy thing, if that would have been today, nobody would have blinked an eye. Nobody would have blinked an eye. Because as you say, so many big artists are not even doing their own productions. So many big DJs are not doing their own mix shows. So many uh, uh, people are just flying on other people's uh, qualities and abilities and yet those are the people on stage uh, receiving the awards. And I have been on stage amongst other people where I knew this reward, which I'm getting now, is for a production where I got the multitrack myself. I did the transfer. I did the production. I did all the overdubs. I did the mix. I did the mastering. I took the tape to the courier service.
0: And it's been because- cut Rick- and spoke to the AR as well, because you had to talk to the AR person. Yes. And negot- uh, negotiated my own uh,
1: uh, contracts, negotiated my own fees, uh, arranged everything. This is me. This is 100% Lee Brand. And you're standing next to someone where you know this guy comes into the studio. The keyboard player already has figured out some nice uh, keyboard lines. The bass player already figured out some nice bass lines. Uh, he has a studio engineer that helps him with all the leads, with all the the, the the plugging and the patch base. He has a mixing engineer who's actually behind the faders and he's doing all the EQ stuff. And yet you are the guy accepting uh, the award uh, for this whole team, which you're not mentioning. And uh, yeah, it's just it, it gives me a queasy
0: feeling. It's tough, especially when you've been in the ground and created something. From a seedling into a tree. To watch someone else come in and just grab the award, and you weren't even there. From nothing, from the inception, it's more like a deception. Everyone, yes, my eyes.
1: Yes, but you know uh, the, the the audience doesn't doesn't care, and you can also uh, if if you. Man, you, you can critique anything. For example, it, the way I work, I use uh, all the hardware and software that can help me. As I said, I couldn't say I couldn't play a solo to save my life. So I'm not a brilliant keyboard player. I spend hours figuring out, you know, what I will do with all the chords, and I'll make it work. So uh, if it comes to being a proper musician, I probably wouldn't classify in that uh, category. But I know that all the stuff I'm putting in there, it's me, and I'm the person that that's putting all that stuff in there. So, um, yeah, I do have a I have a hard time with uh, with with this whole the, the ghost producer thing, and uh, that also comes from. I talked about the DJs being interested in technical sides going along with uh, the, the evolution of uh, technology and the DJs which are not. Well, most of the times the DJs which are not interested in technology, those were also the DJs that have to rely on ghost producers. Um, somebody who is also into technologies, for example, Armin van Buuren, he is very much a nerd like me. He has his mm-hmm. own studio. Very nice guy. I he has his me. own studio. And uh, although he has been, uh, you know, one of the, the the front runners before before even the term EDM came out, uh, having the whole trance thing, and uh, he's willing to put his his reputation on the block uh, by not sticking to just one genre, just to to try to spread out and to to uh, venture into uh, new uh, territories. And uh, he has the guts to do that. And he has the technical know-how to do that. So I very much uh, appreciate uh, the stuff he's doing. And uh, although he, for example, also with his album, uh, they have a perfect duo with uh, Benno de Gooi where they bounce ideas back and forth, uh, which perfectly works. But I know that he's not one of the people that says, okay, let somebody else do it and just stick Armin van Buren on it. No, that's not Armin. That's not the the kind of person he is. And uh, yeah, I have a hard time. I have a hard time finding uh, respect for those kind of people. And that also, if we're on the the honest, the true house story uh, department now, that also kind of extends into drug use. Uh, That if uh, a DJ or a producer has to rely on drug use to achieve what he hopes to achieve, two, two sides to that. If, it's, if he's a DJ and he needs drugs to perform, then it is partially, partially me listening to the drugs perform and not him perform. That's one part. The other part is when the floor is filled with people that rely on drugs to get that high from that DJ set, then how the hell are any of their reviews relevant in any way? Because their reviews are not based in reality, their reviews are based in a chemical perception of what that night how that night went down. Mm-hmm. So I have, very, I have a very hard time uh, finding respect in those areas as well.
0: So yeah I I, and I totally understand it's a tough it's a tough it's a tough one to it's a tough one to swallow. They say a pill this is a tough pill to swallow. So saying that, thank you. I appreciate you for you clearing this up. Where are we now, Ben? And where are we going into the future? You know, where's Ben Lee been taking us? What's-
1: where are we now? Uh, I'm I'm so happy that uh, last year, um, also with collaboration of uh, the Dutch record company High Fashion, we uh, I've been able to do the uh, remixes for uh, Johnny Guitar Watson. Uh, Real Mother Foya and uh, being allowed to take it into a disco uh, disco version. And the record company having faith in my idea, my crazy idea of taking 100 BPM track up to 118 and turn it into a disco track. Um, we had a, a bit of a, 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 a set down with uh, the beautiful set of remixes we did for uh, Petro Boys, uh, West End Girls. Um, a remix which came out on the 23rd of o- October, which shot up to the number one position in the, uh, in, in the one charts on track source and then shot up into the main charts, and then it was gone. And it turned out that uh, we stumbled into a uh, uh, decades long, probably unresolved uh, disagreement between uh, the Pet Shop Boys and Bobby Orlando. Uh, which is a, a huge shame, especially because uh, so many people spend so many time on perfecting these uh, remixes.
0: Um, anyways, right, minute, let me stop you for a second. Did you say that there was a legal issue from Bobby Orlando? The thing is that um,
1: we, got, uh, we got the original multi-track of West End Girls uh, through Bobby Orlando and the company representing him. All the paperwork was done. But the publishing company, um, for the first time in 40 years, interfered with the release of this remix because apparently there is still some unresolved stuff going on between Bobby Orlando and uh, the Pet Boys. So they just don't want any remixes of that version out, ever, by anyone. And uh, that was something that... Uh, Apparently, there's a paperwork uh, that that kind of uh, proves that. Uh, haven't seen it yet, but um, yeah, so they kind of uh, put uh, put a stop on uh, on that. Anyway, we're still working on that because there might still be ways to do a remix based on uh, the Stephen Hague uh, multi-track, um, which which was made a year later. Anyways, some troubles, but amongst those troubles, uh, f- still a fantastic uh, twenty twenty. Uh, when it comes to production. Um, some other things uh, are very important that uh, you know, I've coming close to two years doing in the house, which obviously gives me uh, a proper insight of the goings-on at this moment in time in the house scene, which is fantastic. Um, one of the programs I'm doing for Dutch radio is called The Almost Weekend Mini Mix. And uh, Coming up with a top-notch mix, mega mix, remix, multi-track mix, multi-track mashup each and every week kind of forced me to up my game uh, when it comes to that as well. And um, bottom line is that I am, uh, when it comes to sound, when it comes to production, when it comes to the framework to making those production Having the right sounds, having the right right drum sounds, having the everything in place to make this stuff. Uh, I've never been in a better place than I am today. So um, I'm looking forward to uh, doing some some really nice stuff in, uh, to, in
0: in this year. And the last and final question, which is the most important, with this COVID, how are you hanging on? And do you believe? that we're all going to attend back to what life was pre-COVID with the club scene, the bars, and music. So the first part of the question about the hanging hanging in is, um,
1: uh, we, we had a kind of a, a big scare back in 1995, where that was in between 93, when all the music became crap and me getting into all the visual stuff. And uh, we had a big, big, big customer uh, providing us almost all our work. And we lost that customer, not through a fault of our own. Um, That was a rude wake-up call. Uh, The kind of rude wake-up call that a lot of DJs are having today, where they have focused all their income just on DJing and don't have any other... uh, cylinders on which the company is running. So back in 95, we had our scare. And that means that when 2020 and all this insaneness uh, came to be, um, our company is running on a bunch of cylinders, uh, doing artwork, doing the website, doing the radio shows, doing uh, the productions, doing the remixes, doing uh, visual uh, assignments for other people, promo videos, time-lapse videos, a whole bunch of things. So our company is running on a whole bunch of cylinders, our little company. I mean, it's just, it's just Brenda and me. Um, so when this one cylinder cut out, we still were able to get through 2020. And... Um, which is, you know, something I can only recommend to other people as well going forward from now that you should not have a company running just on one cylinder because 2020 has proven that crazy shit will happen. So that's one part of the thing. And the other part is that I am absolutely convinced that this too shall pass. This too shall pass, absolutely, and I mean, uh, obviously, the sooner the better. But um, this too shall pass, and when when this uh, stuff is over and it's when it's uh, safe to go out again, uh, people will be waiting for you. People will be waiting for me to get that dance floor uh, rocking again, to get the music going, and to to give everybody a, a great time again, and. Uh, even, even with the, the, the grand mix, which was just recently uh, completed, the grand mix over 2020, I spent a long time thinking up an intro. These, these grand mixes each have an intro. They, most of the times they're uh, science fiction based. Uh, and this year I was just like, it has to be clear that first of all, that the people who love music, they are not alone. So every time you listen to music, you can fairly, you know, fairly surely assume that somebody else somewhere on this planet is also listening to that kind of music, to the same music you love. So you're not alone. And uh, although the dance floors are now uh, empty and, uh, and it's silent in the clubs, when it's safe to do so, people will be back and it's up to you and it's up to me. To provide the best we can at that point, so let's prepare ourselves for that moment and let's be ready, more ready than we were, ever were, with great sets, with great, uh, with with new developments in technology, with everything that can help you to bring the best set possible to the dance floors of this world, because people are waiting for us.
0: I know. I know. And we got to keep them ready and, and, and yes. just hope, keep them ready. And, and we don't want to say waiting. We got to keep them ready because when that door opens, it's going to be like fire. Yes. Yes.
1: And that moment will come. And, uh, you know, the super thing is that uh, this whole COVID thing, obviously, it's like the weather. You can't change a thing. You can't change a thing. You just have to wait as hard as it is. You just have to wait until it blows over. And... Just do yourself a favor. Don't let it drive yourself nuts, because then only, not only you'll have COVID on your on, on, on your case, but you're also, you know, making it very difficult for yourself by, I don't know, maybe creating, developing, uh, or nurturing uh, uh, mental problems as well. So yeah. let's try. Let's try to just see this thing as a patch of freaking bad weather, but it will it will blow over. It will blow over. And then uh, it's up to the, the Lenny Fontanas and the Ben Lee Brands and all our colleagues on this planet to, uh, to get the party starting again. Rock the house.
0: Rock the house. I the mean. Yeah. It's going to be debauchery when this thing turns on. It's going to be like yeah. Sodom and Gomorrah. They're going wow. to be going hanging off the rooftops. I know it'll be crazy, but to get to that point, that's the. Oh, that's the hard part. It's the bridge. As I always say, the bridge of getting there. We know the ending is there. We, we could see it, but we have to get over that bridge yes. and bring it home for everyone. Ben, I want to thank you, my friend. You are an icon, a good friend of mine, a mentor for many. Your mega mixes are played religiously with everyone you have a fan base that is crazy over the lee brand sound and keep it going my friend and many more to come we wish you all the success that ben libra can bring us
1: thank you so much and i'm just i get the only thing i can say i'm so fortunate that uh i i can still do this that that's this still and be paid to do it see He paid to do your hobby. How great is that?
0: Ah, you can't beat that. This is the win. I mean you can and and stay home. (laughs) He's already been working from home, everyone. It's not like he never, he never left home. Home. (laughs) Here's the difference. You've all learning how he operates. (laughs) So he's been ready for this for a few decades. He's been waiting for something like this. As many of us have already assimilated to the home front. It's okay. It's okay. And never stop dreaming, everyone. As Ben Lieberman has taught us in this, you know, you, you could take an idea and you can manifest it and come out of with something, but you got to try. And he also said, very importantly, research everything around you. Be prepared. Prepare, preparation is the job. Yes. Whatever you go into, be prepared. Know what you're dealing with. Try to find out what the best situations that can make your life a bit easier are. Don't take the hard way. Find out first. Don't try to do it and then learn. Learn and then do it before you kill yourself.
1: <laughs> there, are, there, are enough, there are enough other people on this planet to, to drive you nuts. So don't drive yourself nuts.
0: <laughs> yes, Ben Lieberman, what do we expect when we can get in the next Mega Mix? And his, of course, his weekly radio show, which he rocks you every week on the radio. And another thing that people don't know about, Ben could speak fluent German as well. I've heard him and he speaks very, very good German. Oh, and problem. <laughs> right. So, so the German market that loves Ben has been hearing Ben speak German for many years. And 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 he speaks it as well as he speaks his Dutch. So good on you, brother. Thank you again, Ben. And Stay safe. Keep those huskies. And I know you live near Santa Claus because he's up there in the North Pole area. He's got Santa Claus as his neighbor with the snow. And he was helping Santa set up his sleighs with all the toys for the kids during Christmas.
1: (laughs) Hey, hey, Lenny, thank you so much for having me. And uh, it was a pleasure and a privilege. Oh, we love you. We think you're amazing.